0: Amen. Thank you so much again, Brother Greg and Miss Sloan and Congregation. Well, I'm excited to get into another song tonight. Psalm thirty-eight. Psalm thirty-eight. If you will take your Bibles and find your place, I want to be preaching on a song of suffering due to sin. A song of suffering due to sin. I know this is kind of a lengthy psalm, but There's really no place to break in this song, so I would like to read it in its entirety to you tonight. So if you found your place and you're able, we invite you to stand one more time. We'll honor and reverence the reading of God's holy and air and infallible inspired word together. David, the author of this psalm, says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrow stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head as a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly, I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of my disquietedness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloft aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I, as a deaf man, heard not, heard not. And I was dumb, man, that opened not his mouth. Thus I was a man that heareth not, and whose mouth are no reproofs. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me, when my foot slippeth and magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity... I will be sorry for my sin, for mine enemies are lively and they are strong, and they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. They also that render evil for good and mine adversaries because I follow the thing that is good. that good is. Forsake me not, O Lord, my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. You may be seated, and we'll trust the Lord to bless the reading of his holy word. Again, it's a song of suffering due to sin. That's why I didn't put that sermon title out early. You wouldn't have came to church tonight. It probably all over the internet world are cutting off. But that's what this is. A song of suffering due to David's sin. This is the 3rd psalm in a series of what has been labeled as penitential psalms or psalms of repentance, psalms that express sorrow for sin. This psalm and Psalm number 70 carries with it the title to bring to remembrance. And as I thought about it, I thought that's about the last thing we ever want to do when we're in trouble. That's about the last thing we'd ever want to do when we've done something wrong before God. We usually try to forget our wrongs and not to remember them. Right? But David said in the inspired text, those times of suffering Due to our sin, we might try to forget them, but he said that we are to remember them. Why? So that we can learn from them and not repeat them. And so in this song of sorrow, David was severely chastened by the Lord for his personal sin. It was a grievous plague. He was grievously plagued by his enemies. His enemies were multiplying by the day. I know we can easily name his sin, but we don't really know what his sickness was. The sin, of course, was adultery with Bathsheba and his conspiracy to murder against Uriah. The sickness is not mentioned. Now, some say there's enough evidence in this text that David was stricken with some type of venereal disease. I don't believe that's true. I I agree with most who say he was stricken with leprosy. I'll, I'll give you some indications of that. But at the end of the day, I don't know, and that's not what's important. What's important about all of this is that he was suffering under the stroke of God due to his own sin. We have stated it before that not all sin is due to sickness. So just go ahead and write that down. Give me an example. Job's was not. Everybody need a few friends like Job who sinned. <laughs> but it wasn't. God said no. He was an upright man that feared God and escheweth evil. It certainly wasn't the condition of the blind man in John 9. The Lord said it wasn't due to his sin or his parents' sin. Whoever thought that your sin can affect your children, God said it would. It can. But it was with the man that they let down in the roof, the paralytic. He said, thy sins be forgiven thee and you've been made whole. And David would testify, and he does through this psalm and many others. David confessed that it was because of his sin. His sickness was due to his sin. He owned it. He confessed it. He cried out to the Lord for compassion to deliver him from his adversaries as well as to heal him from his infirmities. Now David writes this psalm and it is one long Hebrew song of wailing, a wail of despair over his sin, but yet I would not present it tonight if it did not end with a prayer of hope. That's why it made the book. We all can sing a long song of sin's despair. Why it makes the book is because David doesn't end there. It made the book because David lays a prayer of hope and help in the Lord. And David teaches us that true confession leads to the Lord's compassion. Anybody here need a little of the Lord's compassion? And so that's what we look at tonight. And so verses 1 through 14 is a long rebuke of David's sin. Some of it's from the Lord. Most of it is self-rebuke, David going over his own situation. But we look at the Lord's chastisement that is spelled out in verses number 1 through 4. Let me read them slowly again. The Bible said, Oh, Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. If you remember the first psalm we did in this section in series of Psalm 6, it's almost the exact same wording. Verse two, for thine arrows stick fast in me and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head as for a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. And so as we look at the Lord's chastisement, we see his anger towards David's sin. Now more times than not, we fail to count the cost and the extreme consequences of our sin. We think very little, if any at all, of the repercussions of our wicked deeds when we start entertaining or flirting with sin. I think David would say the same with his gross violations against God and his fellow man. But now it's a different story. Now, in Psalm 38, David knows the full effects of angering God with his sinful acts. And he begs God not to rebuke him in wrath or chastise him in God's hot displeasure. Why? As I'm not going to beat a dead horse. As we learned in Psalm 6, it's still true in Psalm 38, and it's still true today. If God does not temper his wrath dealing with his children, no one could abide it. I I just can relate back to childhood. It's nothing like this, but I remember my dad sometimes over my actions would flash. And I appreciate my mama because she'd say, Jim, settle down. Or you take off that belt. I'm glad mom had a way of tempering sometimes. My dad hot displeasure. It made a little difference back here. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? But how much more the disciplined hand of God that is angered because of my act of rebellion and sin. If it's not tempered with compassion and mercy, you'd be consumed. We need to understand that. We need to think about that next time we're flirting with an occasion to sin. The next time we're entertaining a wicked dealing, that we will anger God. And in God's hot displeasure, you couldn't abide it. And so David's begging and praying for the mercy of God, that he may withstand the judgment of God. Again, David tells us that God's chastisement upon his life, even when it was tempered with mercy, was still like arrows piercing his flesh and like heavy hand, a heavy hand of God crushing him. At the end of the day, you and I must understand that you and I will not, will not, will never get away with our sin. Never. God says that marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge and God would not change his word for even David. We've got to understand that. Friends, it's worth remembering in this day of loose morals and no morals. No one who practices immorality and fornication will ever get by with their sin. I promise you, God will see to that. There's a payday maybe postponed for a time being, but it always comes. As my dad would quote from from numbers as a teenager to me, be sure your sins will find you out. You know, they had all, I don't know if your parents were like mine, but they had always asked when I said, mom, I'm going out tonight. Dad, I'm going out tonight. Where are you going? Just kind of look around and trying to come up with something. What are you going to do? And when I hesitated, my dad would always come back with that. Son, be careful and be sure your sins will find you out. That statement alone helped me cancel a lot of plans. Why? Mark me different. I fear God. I fear to anger him who would deal in hot displeasure. I'm just being real to the word of God tonight. Maybe some corny illustrations, but you get the point. David says, Lord, temper your judgment with mercy because no one gets away with their sin. Because when it does find you out, and it will, you can expect the Lord's chastisement. He will not sweep yours under the rug. And so we see the anguish of David's spirit. David said, there is no soundness. There's no strength in my flesh. I'm not wholesome. What does that mean? He says, I'm sick. I'm sick because I've angered you, O God. I cannot rest. There's no peace in my mind and in my heart because of my sin. Ladies and gentlemen, this may sound like a harsh and a mean sermon, but I'm thankful for it. I am glad there is no rest in me when I've angered God. I'm glad when there's no peace and I feel sick to my stomach and in my spirit when I've sinned against the living God. I'm glad I can't sin and just lay down and forget about it. David said, It's a nauseating spirit, it's a nauseating feeling within my spirit. He talks about his body in a moment as Paul wrote in the Corinthians to flee fornication. Every sin that a man doth is without or outside the body, but he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. And by the way, I have learned that God has many fearful weapons to chastise those sins. You probably don't even want me to deal with this tonight, but it's in the text, it's in David's life, and I'm going to deal with it. Do you realize that there are more than 30 known sexually transmitted diseases that carry some disgusting symptoms and several lead to horrible complications like blindness, brain damage, insanity, eye infections, cancers, skin damage, bone damage, liver damage, teeth damage, and even death. You're playing with fire. God will see to it. Do you realize that the CDC reports that, listen to this, one in five adults in the United States are walking around with a sexually transmitted disease. What about our college students? I'm glad you asked. These stats are old, by the way. One in four college students are walking around with a sexually transmitted disease. Why would you say that? Because God's word's true. Be sure your sin will find you out. God will chasten those who anger him with their sin. And if that's not something, you know, and I I realize, you've heard, I've heard, there are immoral people who say they've escaped that. They may have. They may have escaped somewhat of the physical disease somehow. But there are other consequences. There's many other consequences. David describes it and I just read it to you and I want you to see it. David describes that which is both physical and then he describes that which is spiritual, emotionally, mentally. David describes the physiological damage that is done. It causes a great depression and anguish of soul and in mind. The consequences of his iniquity, he said, are far greater than his mind could handle. They are heavier than his body could carry. I think it's a true statement to say, a moment's worth of passion's not worth a lifetime of pain, and somebody should say Amen. David's condition—he describes it to us. He said there was some intense suffering over and over in this psalm. David names. I like the pronoun. He says his. He says mine. In the text, my sin, his sin, as the cause of his suffering. See, David knew full well that his sin would invoke the righteous. Judgment of God. You know, if you're not aware of that before you indulge, in that moment, you're keenly aware. But the truth of the matter is, most know and still indulge. David was in that category. David was a man after God's own heart. David knew the Lord. He knew the Lord's character. He knew the Lord's commandment. And so he knew it to invoke the judgment of God in his life. His sin had to be chastened. Why? Why would God punish him? Because he is just. He is holy. He must punish our sin because he said it in the beginning. And God's not a liar. God's Lord. And he won't mar his reputation for any of Adam's ruined race. None of them. What I thought was amazing about this is. David's suffering was not God's fault. It was David's fault. David admits that in the text. I thought, how rare. Most men, most women would rather die than to admit, let alone publicly, that they're sick, they're troubled, they're upside down because of their own sin. Oh no, we'd rather call and go on national television and let Dr. Phil make us feel good about our sin and claiming they're a victim and we'd have never done that if someone had not have twisted our arm. And y'all still watch that every day of your life. What's wrong with you all? You're not a victim. You're a sinner. Accountable to a holy God. The truth of the matter is... David said, It's my fault. He owned it. He confessed that. His own foolish behavior was the reason he was suffering. David describes his wounds, and I read that to you, that they stunk. Wow. And I want you to get this because it'll prove what I'm trying to say earlier. He says in verse 5, My wounds stink. And are corrupt because of my foolishness, there he is again, and I'm troubled, and I'm bowed down greatly, and I go mourning all the day long for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble and sore broken, I have roared by reason of my disquietedness in my heart. He describes here that his wounds stink, they're corrupt. I guess it's easy to say that there was a foul odor coming from his bedchambers with a nauseating stink, and that was the stench of his wound. He was troubled in great pain. He said he was bent over double. He went around all day crying. His pain was so severe in his body that it caused him some acute distress in his mind. Have you ever noticed that? You're in so much pain, it'll mess with your mind. You wonder why so many people could become addicted to prescription medication? Because they struggle with the pain that is so bad in their mind. David describes that. It was agonizing and acute even in his mind. He said his wounds were loathsome, which means there was a burning. They were hot to the touch. It was an infection that gave him a fever. His wounds were inflamed. He hurt so bad... The Bible says he roared like a lion. Can you imagine that? The sweet singer of Israel who had a voice that would calm the demented was now out of his chamber howling and roaring like a lion in pain. I hope you get the word picture. And I thought about all that and I said, how in the world do you preach that stuff? Then the thought came to me, that's the very nature of sin. It leads ultimately to nothing but suffering. Suffering. He describes intense sorrow. Verse number 9, I read it to you. He said, Lord, my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my my strength faileth me, and the light of mine eyes is also gone from me. My my lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore. My kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me and they seek to hurt, speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I am as a deaf man, heard not. And I am a dumb man and opened not his mouth. And thus I was as a man that heareth not and in whose mouth are no reproofs. So he describes his intense sorrow. And these following verses that I just read to you, David describes the sorrow that comes from being separated from God first and then from his fellow man. I've learned this the hard way, and so have you. Our sin separates us from God. I'm talking about our fellowship from God. David was God's son. David would always be God's son. I'm God's son. I'll always be God's son. But when there's sin in our life, he will not hear us. He will not fellowship with us. And he was hurting deep inside because of being separated from God. A lover of God. A man after God's own heart at one time, now separated. Because of his sin, his fellowship was severed. He said that he would not hear him. And he honed. He said, I am before you. You know my desire. I sense your presence. I long to sense your presence. And it caused David because he couldn't much sorrow. And yet he cried out to God, maybe. Maybe this is the very worst thing about our hour of conviction. When one sin has come home to roost, you feel isolated from God. Do you you know that feeling? You thought you got by with it. You thought you concealed it. You thought you covered it up. But again, that's another old Satan, my parents and my granny. Your sin will always come home to roost. And boy, when it does, the feeling of you can't get a hold of God, the feeling that feels like God is a million miles away from you, That the heavens are silent. David said there was great intense sorrow in my life because he felt separated from God and also being isolated from his family. You read it right there with me. My lovers, my friends, they stand aloof from my sore and my kinsmen stand afar off. And by the way, that word sore there in the Old Testament is often used to describe the sores of leprosy. And So being isolated from his family caused him much sorrow during a time of chastisement. He was deserted by family and friends while at the same time his foes were deriding him. They were multiplying against him. <laughs> Seeing that his family, even his closest loved ones, would not get near him really is a good supporting verse that this probably was leprosy, something very contagious that he was stricken with. I Don't know that for certain. But I can just imagine how his enemies must have laughed and applauded that now their plans and their plots would be fulfilled and they would never have to lift a finger to David. Because if this was leprosy, he was as good as dead unless God intervened. We like to say that around here because there have been a lot of cases, but God. A lot of you shouldn't be here tonight, but God. I don't know why you were where you were, but all I know is God showed up. And but God, your enemies would be laughing and rejoicing at your demise and your death, but God. That's where he was at, intense sorrow. And then intense silence, he described that he said his condition was so overwhelming that he felt like a death and a dumb man who could just sit there in silence before the living God. He couldn't hear, he couldn't speak. Have you not been there? (laughs) Why, I have. I've been in a spot where I felt like I couldn't get a word out. And try as I may, it's like the silence of the heavens were deafening. Couldn't hear anything. But I didn't give up. You didn't give up. David didn't give up. Although he said it was like he was a deaf and dumb man, he still cried. Here's here's what I've learned. Sometimes you have no words. Sometimes you have no thoughts. But yet, I'm going to get excited. There's someone in me that's not me. In my spirit knows when I'm in trouble to cry out for me. I may not have any words. I may not have any good thoughts. But the Spirit of God inside of me, my spirit that longs for help for me, will cry out, cry out in desperation unto the living God. And that's what David did. Here is a man, here was a man who could not hear. Once the sweet singer of Israel always had a song in his heart, always on his lip, but there he sat with nothing. His mouth was stopped because of the judgment of God. Sin had taken his song. It had robbed his speech. It had controlled his mind. And if only we would think about that and count the cost of sin before we ever even entertain sin, we'd be so much better off. And it's in verse 15 through 22, the remaining of this text, we find the resources of David's Savior. I jumped into it a little early. Let me get back to that. Verse 15 says, And I read that to you. He says, For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me when my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me, for I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity, and I will be sorry for my sin. But mine enemies are lively, and they are strong, and they that hate me wrongfully multiplied they also that render evil for good are, my, are mine adversaries because I follow the thing that is good. Forsake me not, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So we see David's cry. Yes, I got a little ahead of myself. I got excited. But that which David's hope rested on was that he may not have words He may not have the song he used to have. He may not have the thoughts, but he had hope that the Lord would hear him. We can't ever lose that. Because it's not a reality if you're a child of God. He is near those who cry out to him. He will hear us. Even overwhelmed to the point that he could not speak or hear, he would cry to the Lord. And he was confident that God would hear him. His only great concern was he wanted God to hear him because his enemies would not have an occasion to blaspheme God and make fun and rejoice over the death of his servant, a chosen vessel like David. Can you imagine the devil's crowd? Could you imagine the enemies of God and of David? How they would have rejoiced and gloated that they had a victory over God and the children of God. He said, God, I need you to hear me. That the Lord would heal him, can I tell you? I I don't believe in healers. I, I don't I don't believe in divine healers. If they're out there, why don't they go to the nursing home? Why why don't they go to the hospitals? And I'd like for them to visit the COVID ward and the cancer ward. I don't, I don't believe that God gave that gift, but He said those would pass. But I do believe in the divine healer. We have testimony all over this house. I believe in him. And I believe he can heal. Does God always heal? Not always. The apostle Paul cried for healing three times. God said, no, no, no. No. Why? My grace is sufficient. Sometimes you need to go through some things to appreciate his grace. Sometimes he says, yes, thy sins be forgiven you. Take up your bed and walk. Woo! What a day. When doctor said he's going to die, God said, no, not finished. When the doctor said, you don't have two years to live. You've been here 20. Praise God. God says, no, he does that from time to time. But here's what I know in David's life that contrition, And confession are good first steps in getting to the root of the problem when sickness is due to your sin. It was David's. That prescription was given to us in the epistle of James concerning this matter. And in David's case, if David had not repented and come clean and owned his sin before the living God with a broken and a contrite heart, that man would have died prematurely with leprosy. And I wonder how many stubborn people went home early and not fulfilling what God called them to do because they wouldn't own their sin. They weren't contrite, nor would they confess before the living God. He said, Pastor, why did you say that? I think it's a valid point. I think it should serve as a reminder in my life all the days of my life. Contrition and confession are good first steps. That's what David taught us. David was confident and had hope that the Lord would help him. I'd never come to an altar if I didn't believe that. I'd never get in my prayer closet if I didn't believe that. I'd never look up to heaven and cry out to God if I didn't believe. That he's a God that would help his children. Miss Carol said it a minute ago. I, I just want to quote you. I told her I was praying for her. She said, well, God's working. He's working on me. I love that. Well, so sometimes God just changes our circumstances, but sometimes God just changes us. Sometimes God changes our circumstances and us. And so he will help us. And during a time of sin and chastisement in David's life, David's enemies had been busy plotting to overthrow him and plotting to destroy him. But David knew he needed the help of the Lord. God had called him to that business. And if God didn't help him, he would never be able to deal with Absalom. He would never be able to deliver the kingdom. He would never be able to be restored to health and do the work that God called him and anointed him to do. So sometimes we can just stand strong, and in great confidence with what God's already said. God sent his prophet to Jesse's house. Anoint him as the king of Israel. If God said it, hold him to it. Stand on it but I've blown it. I understand. I'm not condoning failure. I'm just telling you there's a holy God in heaven that you can have hope in. You don't need to spin your wheels. You don't need to go backward. You need to be broken. You need to fear God. You need to confess your faults and sin before the living God. And have hope in your life that He will hear you. He will help you. You can stand on the immutable promises of God. God told David He had a work to do, and God needed David to do a work in His life that He can fulfill and fulfill what God had called Him to do. He didn't want to go home destroyed, defeated, and untimely. He wanted to finish and finish His assignment. And David had hope in that covenant. The Lord was David's. David was the Lord's. He said he would forsake him not and that he would not be far from him in these last two verses. God would hurry to help him. Now, some may read this and think David overstepped his bounds, but I don't read it that way. Verse 22 Make haste to help me. I understand what some commentators were saying, and I understand maybe the implications. Who are we to rush God? I don't think that's what's implied here. I just think that David's circumstances was so dire. If God didn't show up, he was done. It's kind of like Peter when he stepped out of the boat. If God didn't act, I mean right then, Peter sunk. But love lifted him. We sing that song. And I tell you, it's the same measure of love that lifted David out of the muck and the mire of his sin. And so he needed him right early. He needed them then. And so he asked the Lord to hurry up because the Lord was his salvation. And David really at that point had nothing else to hold on to. Sin will bring you to the end of yourself. Sin will strip you of everything that you had that was precious to you. The Lord in that moment was really All that David had. But in that moment, David realized that's all he really needed. The Lord is sufficient. So I'd encourage you, as David did tonight, stand firm on the eternal covenant of the living God and the immutable nature of God and throw yourself upon God's unending mercy and beg Him for help. He is an ever-present help in a time of need. So... I'm just want to fast forward as a close tonight, cause I can't leave you hanging. I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna pull a Paul Harvey. Now, if I said that to youth, they'd be looking there and googling. But you know him. I'll give you the rest of the story. You probably know it. But David was heard. Oh, he's a good God, isn't he? You you know David's life, and God still heard him. God heard him. Can I give you another one? David was healed. I, I like kind of going over this when I'm by a bedside at the hospital or a nursing home and maybe at a home somewhere and somebody's really struggling and they said, "Well, I need the Lord." But preacher, you don't you just don't know my life. I'm not worthy. I know God's able, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't heal me. Why wouldn't he? He heard David. He healed David. And boy, has he been a helper to David. If this be true, and it is, why would you, as a child of God, not do the same? If you're suffering due to your sin, contrition and confession is a great starting point. Come tonight and have hope in the Lord, Cry to him. Trust his covenant. Will he heal you? I don't know. But what I do know is God's grace will be sufficient to you. I'll tell you something else I know. God will be better to you than you deserve. I'll tell you something else I know. That nothing is impossible with God. Mark said, nothing is impossible to him that believeth. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. James says, confessing your sins and the prayer of faith can save the sick. I told you, not all Sickness is due to sin, but some is. How do you know? You know. You know. Has God ever failed to convict any sin? Has God ever failed to let you know where you failed him? Has God ever failed to let you know why you're going through what you're going through? Oh, I know what we do. We all say, Lord, I don't understand, I don't know in times of this nature. That's why I said what I said in the sermon. Because of stinking, foolish, sinful pride, most of us would rather be dead than to confess our fault before God. David said, not me. Not me. It's my sin. That's why I'm sick, Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for this song. Thank you for its instruction and warning. Lord, thank you that you're a merciful and a gracious God. Lord, you're so good to us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to keep this in the forefront of our mind and close in our hearts. Lord, most of our struggles, we blame on everything, but the truth of the matter is it's our own fault. Lord, I know I cause most of my troubles. But I appreciate the chastening hand of God that gets our attention, that leads us to repentance, that draws us back into sweet fellowship with the living God. Thank you for being our hope. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for helping us. And for those who are hurting, I pray they'd find help in you tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.